0: Turn up your Your volume
1: because you're about to listen to the sick Sick podcast, the The eye test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy, the Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche, and after 22 years, the sickest NHL podcast, it's going to be sick.
0: And welcome to another edition of The Eye Test here on the Sick Podcast Network. It's Ask Away Wednesday. We'll try and get to that later. Uh, but because we have a great guest joining Pierre Maguire and myself today, none other than Hall of Famer Mark Recchi, <laughs> Stanley Cup champion and also won a Stanley Cup with Pierre himself back in 1991. Pierre, I know you're excited for this uh, this guest to come on.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you think about longevity in terms of players that have won the Stanley Cup in three different cities. There have been 11 men all time in the history of the National Hockey League that have won the Stanley Cup three times. But since 1955, only six. And Mark Reckie is one of the six. And if you look at it, starting in 91, going to 06 in Carolina and then 2011 in Boston, that's a pretty big spread. What a career. What a monumental career for Mark Recchi.
0: Yeah, Hall of Fame career indeed. And, uh, you know, Mark Reckie, And you look at the record books, uh, he sits there right now as we speak. Currently 14th in points overall with uh, 1,533 points. Pierre, 577 goals, 956 assists. He played for the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Philadelphia Flyers, the Montreal Canadiens, the Carolina Hurricanes, Atlanta Thrashers, Pittsburgh Penguins again, Tampa Bay Lightning, and the Boston Bruins. Uh, and, of course, as you said, one cups with Pittsburgh, Carolina, and Boston. You're looking at it, too, Pierre. I mean, really, the only active player right now that is even close to catching him is Alexander Ovechkin, who's at 15-11 in points. Uh, so you would think that he's going to get there soon. Maybe not this season with the way things have gone for him, uh, but soon he will get there. But still, uh, Recky is cemented there in the history books. And, you know, I know you had the pleasure of coaching him. And you've known him for a long, long time. You're good friends. And I also had the pleasure of uh, getting to know him when he was here in Boston as a player and and, and stayed friends with him after that. Uh, he's one of the class acts in this game. And, you know, I, I think the thing I love about Rex so much here is he reminds me of you because he knows everything about everyone in hockey. Uh, he is an encyclopedia as well. And I love talking hockey with him. We are always texting kind of talking about the hot topics around the league. And even as he's coaching or, you know, doing other stuff in, in his life, uh, he always takes the time to get right back and talk some hockey with me. So I know you know that as well.
1: Well, Jimmy, you know, it's great that you're sharing that with the audience. The other thing is he's an owner. He, he puts money back into the game. He's part yep. owner of the Camloops Blazers in the Western Hockey League, the team that he played for. And we're going to get into that when we talk with Mark. Um, one of the things that amazes me is the longevity the fact he wasn't a first round pick, he was a fourth round pick. A lot of people didn't think he'd really ever make it for a long period of time. He had the every player's got a unique thing when they last a long time. And his uniqueness was the intensity that he brought every single yep. day. It wasn't one or two days. Every day. I remember that man playing with walking pneumonia to keep the Iron Man streak going in Montreal. Nobody talked about it. You know, I I was working in Montreal then and we yeah. would all these different cities and here's a guy playing with walking pneumonia that wasn't contagious to anybody else that's why he got away with it but he was still trying to play to keep the iron man streak going and also to help his team win
0: yeah and of course the famous story i mean you know about it pierre uh in the 2009 playoffs for the boston bruins and they're playing the carolina hurricanes uh and you know i get a text from him saying i don't know if i'm going i don't know what's going to happen i don't know if i'm going to be in there uh Tonight for, I think it was game four, maybe, or five. Um, not four. It was four because it was down there. And uh, he had kidney stones. And it's, it's happening in the dressing room before, right before the game. And he passed a kidney stone and went in and still played in the game, in the playoffs. And, and I think he might have even had a point in that game. But, you know, I remember talking to the te- his teammates then, and they were just in awe, like, wow, th- so this is what it takes. This is what you got to do to get to the top of the mountain. And he was a perfect example for that team who then, obviously, two years later, that core went on to win the Stanley Cup with him.
1: See, most coaches loved having Mark. I'm just going to tell you, the only time I ever saw Coach mad at him, I was there. It was game one of the 1991 Stanley Cup Final. We are playing Minnesota. Pittsburgh's playing Minnesota. Uh-huh. And Mark got new skates. And I hopefully he'll tell the story. And if he doesn't, it's okay, too. But he got a new pair of skates. And he said, I don't need to break them. in. they're great. And he wore them in game one. And Pittsburgh lost game one to Minnesota. <laughs> and Bob Jobs, the only time I ever saw and he yeah. never said it to Mark. He said it to all of us in the room behind. He like, I can't believe he'd wear new skates. The first day of the Stanley Cup final, he's wearing new skates. That's how Roger used to talk. That's the only time I ever heard somebody say, I can't believe he did that. You know, I thought it was pretty funny.
0: Yeah. You know, I, speaking of coaches, I just remember, too, how much, you know, Claude Julien, was able to lean on him as kind of that another, you know, he had Chari, he had Bergeron, but they, at that time, Pierre, you know, from 08 to 09 to 10, to 10 and then 11, you know, they were still maturing into the leaders that they became, yeah. you know, that and they, they were still in that maturation process. So that's why, you know, when Shiarelli had the chance to go out and get wrecked, you know, I remember people saying, what are they doing, getting him? And you were the only one. I remember hearing you on Malnick's show in Montreal, you were the only Announcer analysts out there, and I remember you texting me too. Like, these people are nuts. Do they not know who this guy is and what he can do? Mm-hmm. And they were, you know, people are giving him health for what they were giving up in the trade. Why are they getting this guy? He's washed up, yeah, washed up. Okay, whatever. This
1: is but this is why, <laughs> thank you for saying that, Jimmy. It means a lot yeah. to me. But this is why experience matters when you make a lot of these decisions. Because my experience learning from Craig Patrick and Scotty Bowman and Brian Berg you need guys that have been to the top of the mountain to show the other guys how to get there. Yeah. And the guy that, and I, I know I talked to you about this on one of our previous shows was Brian Tracey. He yes. came to Pittsburgh and he showed Mark Recchi, He showed Mario Lemieux. He showed Kevin Stevens. He showed these guys how to win. We mm-hmm. already had Paul Coffey. You know, we got Joey Mullen at the 1990 draft, almost the same time we got Brian. So yeah. we got like Joey had won, Brian had won, Paul had won. But really, Brian was the guy that kind of institutionalized what winning meant at that time in the National Hockey League. And it made a big difference for us. And I think Mark in 06 made that difference in Carolina and really helped Rod Brindamore. Oh, yeah. also, if you look at uh, what happened in 2011 in Boston, he helped Zdeno Chara. He helped Patrice Bergeron. And, Jimmy, you were there. They were down 2 nothing in Montreal. Yep. People forget that. And instead of going to Montreal, they went to Lake Placid. And those mm-hmm. guys hung out and everybody's like, what are they doing? Yeah. Well, they were coming together as a group. And sometimes you got to do that. And that's what they did. And they eventually won that round and never looked back.
0: Well, I'll, I'll tell you what here. And I was, he let me use it on the record too. And it was great. I was covering the Bruins, I think for, for ESPN Boston at that time. Yeah. And um, after they go down, you know, they lose game two on home ice. And, you know, although everyone's freaking out. Oh my God, they're going to choke against the Canadians and, you know, you know for the Bruins, what how many times that's happened with the Montreal Canadians. I mean, we can we can just go on and on about how many projected playoff runs were derailed by the Montreal Canadians against the Boston Bruins. Yeah. And so everybody's freaking out. And so then the, the room starts to clear out and, and Rex is just sitting over there and he's talking to Bergeron. And then he gets up and I, I go over to him and I, I just you know off the record, and I said, Hey, um, what do you think? What are you gonna do? he's like, Oh, we'll be here for Game Five. You can print that. Don't worry, we'll be here.
1: Yeah, no. And- so that, there you go. Okay. <laughs> so he learned, that all the way back twenty years previous from Brian Trust. People forget the '91 Penguins. Yeah, they were down two games to none to the Boston Bruins in old Boston Garden, and the Conference find, lost, right? Yeah, they never lost another game. No, nope. they never lost another game in that series. Like they came in and steam. They beat Boston four straight games. Yep. Well, two in Pittsburgh. One in Boston and then game six back in Pittsburgh, you know, and, and it was crazy. But yeah. I can just tell you, Mark learned so much. And I think that's a big part of this. And maybe I'm not saying all of them, but maybe some of the newer fangled managers don't put enough on because they're so busy looking at spreadsheets and they're so busy looking at numbers. They don't see the value of, of character and what those leadership guys can do. Uh, Mark guys like Mark Recchi don't fall off trees. They're hard to find. They're really no. are hard to find.
0: They really are. And and you know I think that during that run too for the for the Bruins, um, even after they got past the Canadians, you know, and then they they had their, they had their way. They they knew what they were, they were going to steamroll Philly because they swept them. after what happened the year before when Philly right. won full straight uh, and came back to win that series, so yeah, that was kind of a fait accompli. But then they get to Tampa. And Tampa's, you know, kind of under the radar in that playoff, uh, Pierre. And they they gave the Bruins all they could handle, and you were there. And that was probably one of, if not the best hockey games I've ever seen. Game seven against Tampa, one not the Nathan Horton scores the winner. I, and But I just remember talking to the guys after, and they're celebrating. They know they're going back to the cup. And uh, just Rekki saying, like, that was – that was a great hockey game, and that—that's one of the things I loved about him. Win or lose, he's going to tell you if it's a great game. It's a great game because he just—he loves the sport so much, and it—and it comes through in the way he plays, and it comes through in the way he speaks. And our, our listeners and viewers will see that shortly when he joins yeah. us.
1: It's it, well, it's experience, it's knowledge base, it's the people that prepared him along the way, and I don't think Mark missed any steps. You know, mm-hmm. in, in order to be successful in this league for a long time, you got to have unbelievable passion. And Mark's a lot of things. And one of them is he's got this amazing burning desire to understand something new every day about the league. Yeah. That, that says a lot about him as a person and as an athlete. I really do. Yeah,
0: for sure. Now, listen, we're going to, we'll, we'll definitely get to your questions after we speak to Mark. We're going to just do the interview and then you can ask away since it is ask away Wednesday. Um, but, you know, I think one question, Pierre, I want to talk to him about, and we were talking off air is just, you, you just kind of touched on it there. Just There's people along the way, you know, and I'm talking before he got to the NHL, people along the way who helped him get there. And I, I know some of the answers, but I'll save it for our viewers. But um, he had a great upbringing in Kamloops, uh, and he's always proud of that. And, I, and you know, the other thing, too, I remember when I when I met him and I started to get to know him. I actually got to know him, Pierre, when he was with Tampa Bay, um, and he knew Kevin Stevens, obviously. So oh, Stevens is scout. in Pittsburgh. Ever. <laughs> yeah, they were they're good buddies. They still are, and and Stevens is scouting for uh, Pittsburgh at the time. So sometimes after, if Tampa's in town, would go out for a drink or a bite, and um, you know he says, "Wait a minute," he says, "You're Italian? How the heck is Jimmy Patrick Murphy Italian?" Because I have my mother's side's Italian, so we just started talking about making meat sauces and <laughs> and Italian food and everything, and it was great. And he told me obviously too, and I'm sure he'll say it. He's got a great passion uh, for for wine. He's got a, a hell of a collection. I've, I've been able to partake in a couple of those. So it's, uh,
1: uh, he's, a good,
0: he's a good people. You're going to love this interview. I'm really
1: excited about it. Yeah, me too.
0: Yeah. So here, I want to ask you too, um, when, you know, and we'll ask, we'll talk to Mark about this. I know you guys are tight. I know how much he did for that 91 team, but you've also raved about the, you know, the guts and the wherewithal and the understanding what needed to be done at the time when the Penguins did trade him to Philly the following season. And he's in the middle of a hundred point season still. And a lot of people at the time are like, what are they doing? But you you knew because you're seeing it behind the scenes. And I think too, and I wonder if we'll ask him just being the hockey guy that he is. I'm sure he understands that. that's That it's part of the game is roster construction. And that all changes year to year. But just because of your relationship with him, what was that like when he got dealt for you?
1: It was really hard. Um, I remember clear as day. Paul Coffey took it really hard. Mark took it hard. And You got to understand, Mark married a Pittsburgh girl at the time. His father-in-law was a team doctor, Dr. Shiptak. I mean, there was an unbelievable relationship internally with the whole team. And, and the person that was affected the most by the, this trade, and I can tell you this with a clear conscience, was Scotty Bowman. Scotty Bowman was the coach of the team that year. Bob Johnson had passed away. Scotty had this unbelievable affinity to Mark. He respected him so much. He thought he was a tremendous player and just starting to scratch the surface coming off the 91 Cup win. But he also understood the hard part of the business was we needed to get a certain style going with our group that we didn't have. And to me, it w- I had never experienced that. You know, outside of being released by the New Jersey Devils as a player, I had never experienced the toughness of the national hockey league and i saw that happen i was like it was a lesson i never forgot and i think that was part of why mark always carried himself so well around the league and he never made it personal and i always respected that about him i really did
0: yeah he did he he was we, i think we got him now too um he did he did and I, and i always loved to you know the stories and the respect that he would leave in his wake when he would go from team to team, the players would always rave about him. You know what I mean? Like, it was just – well, He was see- a
1: big uncle, you know. As he got older in his career, I, I don't think people realized it, the impact. That Boston team, I, I know people talk about Charon, they talk about and they should. Those are great players that are iconic players in Boston sports history. I don't think they knew as much about leadership before Mark got there. Yeah. And I think once Mark got there, it developed this whole thing internally that I don't think they knew about before they met Mark. And don't forget
0: another guy. And I know he still had his trials and tribulations after that and had to still reel himself in, but he left an imprint on Marshan too. That that was a big one there too. So
1: yeah, yeah, no, no, there's no question he did for sure.
0: Yep. So let's uh let's see. Do we got we got Mark now? Let's bring him on. Mark Recky joining us. Hey Rex, how you doing? Good guys, how you doing? Good, good. Got your old coach here with me. Yeah, awesome. Way back, way back. Well, before we get into it, I'm going to just play this too because this is one of my favorite moments, the second clip we're going to play here, uh, of my career just watching it because I knew knew by then the history between you two. But let's play these two clips for you guys right now.
1: Playing to Kevin Stevens. Stevens shoots it back to center with five, four, three. Time runs out. The Stanley Cup has come to the city of Pittsburgh. The 1991 Stanley Cup champions, the Pittsburgh Penguins.
0: And we'll go to that other clip, guys, right now. Let's go right to the Boston one. We continue to watch the celebration as Pierre talks with Mark Rickey.
1: 1991 in Pittsburgh.
2: 06 in Carolina, 2011 in Boston. How you doing? I'm doing amazing, man. What a feeling this is. What a great group of guys. No matter what happened tonight, this is one of the best groups I've ever played with. This is a great way to go on that top for me. I've had a hell of a run, and I can't thank these guys enough for me. What was the turning point in the series, Mark? You know what? Game six was a turning point. We we, uh, we came out, we played a hell of a game. We knew we just needed to play one game. When we have our backs against the wall, we play, we play, we play our best hockey, and we did it in game six and
1: seven. What was the difference in game seven? Because clearly you weren't having a lot of success here. What turned it around for you in seven? Because you dominated them in seven.
2: Yeah, well, we got the first goal, and we knew that, that was going to be important coming here. And, and uh then we just kept on you know we just played really tight and played great defensively If they got any chances timmy was there and it was scary how incredible year he had can you rank the
1: cups where this one goes um, uh, this is well this
2: is my you know this is it for me so they're all they're all special and they all they're, they all mean the same to me it's just you know it's kind of nice when this is the last one you're going out on the top
1: we've run the trail together for a long time yes we have congratulations you, buddy. i'm so Thank proud you, of you Mark.
2: 91 we got her baby <laughs> Talk, back to you
0: all right, Rex. If you can go back to that moment, how full circle was that? You're standing on the ice with uh, Pierre after your last game, after winning your final cup. What was
2: that moment like for you? I was unreal. Obviously, I mean, what a way to end it. And you know, you got a friend there, and all your family, and then friend like Pierre. And you know, we're doing an interview, and it's uh, you know, it's a great way to great way to kind of cap it off. And uh, you know, we had a blast in in '91. Um, you know, Pierre was around in '06 too, with, uh, you know, w- working in the business as well. So he was around and you see him. And, you know, so to be, you know, to have a familiar face, be- being around all three of us is pretty
0: special. And Pierre, what about you? What was that moment like for you?
1: Uh, I was, I've never been surprised by anything Mark can do. But the, the interview in Vancouver was special because I'm going to tell you a story out of school that Mark's familiar with. The night before Game 7, I invited Mark over to the Pan Pacific Hotel in Vancouver. And we went to the top floor there's a private lounge up there and, and nbc had it and we sat down and, and we had a glass of wine together we didn't have five we had one glass of wine together to me just <laughs> so you know and uh mark told me that nice so we're gonna win tomorrow he was convinced they were gonna win and and i took it to heart because it reminded me of something that scotty bowman had told me in 2002 at the gross point yacht club where he said he took me to dinner the night before the deciding game against carolina and he said, we're going to win tomorrow. It's my last game. And I know we talked about it on the show, Jimmy. And he did it. Yeah. And when when Mark told me that, I said, I've heard this speech before. It's yep. going to work. And I, I really felt Boston was going to win. But I will never forget that night before Game 7 in Vancouver. Mark was amazing. He really was.
0: Yeah, Rex, I mean, you, your thoughts, too, on that night, what that was like, knowing that this was it for you and then being able to go out there and do it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I w- obviously, you're you know you're sitting there. I mean, it was beautiful in Vancouver. It couldn't have been better, better weather, be- better wetter, better weather, and better <laughs>
1: setting.
2: <laughs> That's a tough one to say there, um, but uh, you know, no better setting than that as well. And obviously, I'm from British Columbia, which was a special part as well. And uh, you know, able to have a w- glass of wine, and then uh, I called uh, Thority as well, and I had to a- had another glass of wine with him uh, sitting on the well. So, um, you know, just enjoyed it and, you know, told authority that this was it too. And, um, this is kind of my last night and, and uh, my last game and, mm-hmm. and, uh, we're gonna, you know, we felt we, we both, you know, we talked, we both really believed we were banned and, uh, we went out and did it and, uh, you know, we had a special group and it was a, it was a heck of a game. It was, uh, you know, it was our best game of the series and, and that I didn't expect anything else. But that from the well, group I
1: gotta guys. ask you one of the real turning points that playoff season took place in Lake Placid, New York. I know you were part of the architecture that created that opportunity. What went on in Lake Placid that turned all of the Bruins fortunes around? You were down to nothing, you were going to Montreal, they had all the momentum. What did you do
2: as a group? Well, we just, you know what, we had it was nice to just get up, get up to a beautiful place and we all hung out and we had a few days in between. Um, you know, we were able to have good practice a day off, but then we were just, we were just together and we were just hanging out like we normally all did as a group. And we just talked about, let's just, let's just win the next one. And, you know, let's win the next one. We, you know, we've seen, you know, I was fortunate I'd been part of something where we were down actually against Montreal in Carolina, in the Carolina series. Mm-hmm. So it was the almost identical scenario. It was identical scenario. And, you you know, we just said, "Hey, it can be done. We can do this." And you know, we, we we're you know we regrouped and we just pulled together and we just played our game like we've been doing all year.
0: Mark, during that run too, and especially in the Vancouver series, you did something that Pierre and I talk about a lot here, and actually, I think as recently as last week in the aftermath of the Bedard hit, um, intimidation is is part of this game, and there's ways to do that cleanly you know and it doesn't have to be a cheap shot or a fight all the time it's a good hit it's it's letting you, the opponent know that you're there letting them know you know just sort of planting that seed in their head that they're gonna have to look up and know where you are when you're on the ice was that part of the plan as that playoff went on because it seemed like you guys just really picked up the physical tempo each round and then it really had a climax in, in the vancouver series
2: well that's the part of a process about winning a series is you know the other team knowing that every night we're going to be there, go up and, and we, we had a team that could play any style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We could, play if needed, we could play skilled if you needed, we could play any style of game that was, that was needed on, on any giving night, any given night. And we knew that in the process of a seven game series, we were tough. We were hard to play against. And when we, you know, we, we were always in people's faces. We were always hard to play against. Uh, it was never easy. Um, you know, defensemen going back, knew they were going to get hit every time they got the puck. That wears after, that wears on it. That gives you more space eventually. And, and you know, just something that just, you know, we were really good at. And, and we knew that that's a process we had to go through. We had to go through it with Tampa. We had to go through it with Montreal. And uh, obviously Philly was, you know, that ended a lot quicker. But, you know, we knew that that the process we had to go through. And if we did it right, we would come out of and uh, we did it right. We did it right for for most of the year. Very consistent team. The uh, one thing people don't realize, we had segments. Uh, we had five game segments, and we never we won five or was it five or ten game segments? But we were never under 500 yeah. Games, yeah. five hundred in game or ten game segments, which is incredible for an eighty two season. Usually, you go through a stretch. That just showed the consistency we had as a group and the willingness to just do the right things and play and and have do the process of, of becoming a great team and uh you know we knew we were a great team now it's just getting to that next level and it was it was pretty awesome so jimmy i'm going to ask mark every stanley cup has one great memory for the people that have had the
1: privilege of winning it your 91 memory what's your favorite memory from 91
2: my favorite memories oh god it was just we game six against boston to get us to the finals um it was pretty special um, um, Badger Bob, I had, I ended up scoring the winner that that game with four or so to go. Um, but Badger Bob pulling my cheeks—it was that was you know <laughs> to see him. You know, uh, we didn't know what was going to happen after, but that you know that always comes to mind for me is yeah. uh, the moment that was to to you know to share with you know the group of guys but also Badger Badger Bob. So it was so I always remember that one. You know, two thousand six. 2006, God, there was, I had a lot of them, but you know, we, you know, I had just this special group we had and, and, you know, I was only there for, you know, three months, a month, you know, I played 20 games or, you know, month and a half to the end of the season and and how tight we became as a group. And, you know, just, you know, at the end seeing, I was very fortunate to won with you in 91 but to see the guys like Rod Brindamore and, and Glenn Wesley, Doug Whitney, like you, I go down the list of the guys, just them winning their first one. And that, to me, I just remember that sitting in the dress room and it was like, it was surreal, you know, like they were, you know, and and, you, and I just, I was able to sit back and just watch them. And that was the coolest part for me, yeah. sitting back them. And um, it had been 15 years for me. So, it, I mean, it was a long time, but, but I was they still, just sit back and enjoy it and, and you know, I think, you know, Trot's always said it, it's just everyone's better, but you're able to just really kind of take everything in more and then that's the true <clears throat> that's true to true to force for sure. Then
1: I'm not gonna go to twenty eleven yet. I what you just brought up Brian Trotce's name, Mark. Yeah. We've been we were just talking we've been about talking him. about him a lot on this show. How much of an impact did Brian leave on you? You were only with them in the 90, well, part of the 92 season too, but in 91, how big of an impact did he leave on you?
2: I had a great impact on me, obviously. I mean, I think Badger Bob knew what he was doing when he put me in between him and Joey Mullen in the dressing room. Um, awesome. <laughs> um, you know, I couldn't have been in between two better guys. They both won championships. Mm-hmm. Um, I said won four, Joey Mullen won one in Calgary. Um, and they were just, you know, they were different people, but – but just winners, you know, and it was, you know, they were veterans. They were so-called veterans at the time. And it just, you know, they, you know, Trotz was more of the talker than Joey. Joey wasn't, you know, wasn't as vocal as Trotz. And, uh, you know, I'd sit there and listen to Trotz before going in the ice and scrambling because I we're, you know, we're, I'm going to be late for practice, but I'm not leaving Trotz, you know, I'm not going to leave. <laughs> you know, he, he had it special and he still does, you know, we still have an amazing relationship and, uh, I love the guy to death, and and um, you know he's he had an impact on me right from the get go there, and and um, you know it was pretty cool. So now let's go to 2011. What's your favorite moment from the Bruins Stanley Cup? That last game. I mean, you just can't. I mean, you can't end on a better note, and you know, a better way to end out with a group with a group of guys like we had, and you know, it was just it was really surreal. Like, I mean, you know, you just It's like a dream, you know, you just never expect that to happen. And knowing it was going to be my last game and being able to do that, just getting in the dressing room after the game with everybody was, you know, we had, we were able to have a little bit of quiet time together. Um, well, quiet, but not so quiet. (laughs) Um, so we were able to just basically just embrace each other and embrace it. The whole, the whole thing. And that was pretty special for me. You still have the jacket, Rex? Oh, it's in the. They, we framed it and put it in the dress room. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yep. Yep. So yeah. That's in the, where it should I be.
0: I remember them uh, when when they rose uh put the banner to the rafters. Hey, they put it on you, right?
2: Yeah. 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 Did well, with my shoulder pads on though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, I want to ask too, and and Pierre and I, and this is kind of one of the you know, the foundations of our show too, it's called the eye test. And we like to talk about a lot of the players, maybe that don't get enough love because the numbers don't match up, but the grit, the passion, the heart, all that's there. And here, I know you, you've spoken ad nauseum about this. Where would you, that Bruins team have been without the Merlot line of Gregory Campbell, Daniel Paillet and Sean Thornton?
2: Well, to me, I, I mean, the, the, Really, realistically, the, the bottom six, really, are, you know, as long as your top two lines are playing the way they should be, mm-hmm. uh, your bottom six are the ones that make the difference, They can really make the difference in, in a seven-game series. And, you know, as long as your top guys are your top guys and they're doing the things needed, but those bottom six guys are so, so important. And you don't win anything without them. And there's not a chance. And, and the depth, you need the depth. And that low line was, you know, that, oh, Julian could play. He could play them against any line. He played them against top lines. He on them at the end of games. Um, they were on, you know, the defensive zone faceoffs all the time, uh, which is really hard to do. And it's really, it's a hard game. And they did it all year for us. And it was just, uh, it was awesome. And, they, you know, they were just a special line. And, and uh, you know, they were, it was awesome. I mean, they, they you know, they, they had a little bit of everything. They had speed. They had grit. They had, you know, obviously tough and, and uh, they were all, but they could play. It was just a great match for a line. Now that you're speaking about lines, I have a line to ask you
1: about. The option line, John Cullen, Kevin Stevens, and Mark Recchi. We used to call them the stampeding elephants because you guys would be bouncing your legs on the bench and it sounded like <laughs> there were elephants running up and down the bench. Was that a cue for the coaches to get you on the ice?
2: Enough, <laughs> <laughs> no, as you know. To get back out there so but no that was i mean we're still the three of us are still awesome friends and and we talk all the time um you know we're still in touch and and uh you know that was it was a lot of fun playing with those guys and and you know we it's easy rehash we you know we were hard on each other and uh, at the end we had coffee at the other end of the bench we were yelling at him yelling at us and it was it was awesome we had a lot of fun and you know i think the guys kind of enjoyed it because you know, they could just sit and listen to us, bark at each other, like our uh, best buddies, and uh, go for a beer after and hang out. Like, you you know, you never argued or never did anything. So, oh, the next shift, too. It didn't matter, so. Mark, I have to ask you, for
1: our younger viewers in particular, can you describe what Kevin Stevens was like as a player? Describe what John Cullen was like as a player. And then I'm going to ask you, describe what Mario Lemieux was like as a player in your world.
2: Yeah, well, Kevin Stevens uh, – he was a prototype. you know he was like uh, one of the first power forwards he you know he'd be the first one to admit he didn't want the puck till the to top of the circle and below uh, he didn't want to carry it he wanted to, to give it to you then uh but he was just a power forward he knew how to play the game he was an unbelievable t- teammate he could skate he could really skate for a big guy and uh, people don't realize how big he's a big big solid man and, you know, there was, you know, you run into him, it's like running into a brick wall. But, uh, you know, he was just an awesome teammate. Uh, John Cullen was the, his hockey hockey IQ was off the charts. John Cullen. Um, his IQ was way, he wasn't the best skater in the world, but it was so funny. Everybody says his skating was bad, but they never caught him on a breakaway. You could never catch him. You got a breakaway never catch him. But, wow. you know, he played the game so smart, but, you know, he, he, he pulled the game down. He did it. He played it at his pace and he was able to make He was an unbelievable playmaker. You knew it was coming and, and uh, you know, you had to be ready at all times with Cully and, and a real competitive guy as well, like extremely competitive. So, yep. and then Mario, well, Mario's, I mean, he's arguably one of the, you know, I mean, you could, you know, you could say whatever you want, but he's, I mean, the, the talent he had for the size he had, I mean, it's just, I mean I know there's some talented guys now, but I there's I'm not sure you'll see, see something that talented that big and 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 you know people don't realize how competitive he was too. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a real competitive spirit especially you know we got to that when we started to get to the you know we started to win and started it was unbelievable how he just he could just take us on his shoulders and just take us for a little bit of a ride and um, you know special person, uh, you know just all class. Uh, great guy to be around, you know. Easy to get along, you know. Just he's obviously quiet, but uh, amazing teammates. So they're, they're, you know, he just he's as elite as you get when it comes to the hockey world. And uh, there's not too many people that you know we've seen or will see ever as talented as him with being six four. Yeah,
0: Pierre. I mean, well, you must enjoy coaching that team, huh?
1: You don't coach; you just maintain. They coach. You <laughs> Just get out of the way. Mark can tell you now he's coaching. He actually has to coach. There's not too many Mary Lemuse on his team right now. But there is young one young player. I'd love to hear you talk about Adam Fantilli, because I think you're going to have a massive impact on that young man's career. Tell us about Adam Fantilli
2: and Columbus and how he's progressing. Yeah, Adam's a you know, he's he wants to be a player, and that's what I love about him. He wants to he wants to be the He wants to do the right things. Um, You know, the one thing we, you know, right now, working with him, you know, what we're telling him as a coaching staff is we want to build a winner here. We want to build a winner with you. Like, we want you to create, we want you to have the habits of a winner. So, he's trying to do all those things to be a great teammate, to be a great 200-foot player. Um, It'd be easy to just let him run and go play and do his thing, but I think we'd be doing him wouldn't be doing him any favors by doing that. I want I to build. I want to help him build uh, to be a champion. And, you know, I did, you know, with Jack Hughes in, in New Jersey, I talked to him about that as well. You know, I said, you know, when I was there, I said, it's, it's going to come quicker than you think. So you better be ready. I'd rather you be ready than have to learn, you know, learn to be, you know, all of a sudden learn to be a winner while you're there. And so that's what we're trying to do with Adam here and all our young guys. But Adam is, um, he's gonna he's just a he's a really joy to coach. He makes it easy, which is awesome. I mean it's when when you have a kid that wants to be a player, it just it's just something that you really, you know, you grab him and you just keep working with him. I've been watching sorry,
1: Jimmy, I've been watching Adam Fantilli since he played at Kimball Union Academy, then he went to Chicago Steel, then he goes to uh University of Michigan, watched him in the NCAA tournament last year. And Mark, I think he reminds me a little bit of a younger Mike Madonna.
2: I'd like to know what you think yeah. out of Fantilli's like. Yeah, no, I think you're right there. His motor runs. I mean, he's got a motor like Mo did, and uh, you know, extremely skilled with a great shot. Um, you know, extremely competitive. He might be able to be a little bit more like he's got some physical presence to him as well. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think as he matures. And you know, gets you know, twenty-two, twenty-three years. I think you're going to be, you're going to see somebody that's really hard to I agree uh, retain in a physical aspect because he's going to be. He knows how to play the game, right? He's still learning how to protect the puck up here a little bit, but that's that's going to come. And once he learns that, um, and he gets a little bit more girth to him, and gets a little bit more meat and potatoes, understands the game a little, understands the NHL, and just becomes more. Mature as a, and, and understanding the you know the schedule, he's going to be a, he's going to be such a dominant player, and it's it's fun. I can't wait for. It. I mean, we got you know we're trying to do the steps right now, but it's like man, we wish it was three years from now. You know, <laughs> you, you know, Mark, you, you, when you start to, when you start to talk
0: about Fantilli, that you brought something up, and it's kind of a topic Pierre and I have uh, touched on a couple times in the past couple weeks, just with young players coming in the league, right? It's a it's a different generation, it's a different mindset. And, you know, because of social media, because of the game becoming more offensive, it's more that offense sells and and that's sort of pounded into their heads. And a lot of times now I'm not saying the players buy into it all the time. They still try to be a 200 foot player, but a lot of times fans get frustrated when you won't let set the player free and let him go. And like you said, you know, we would love to do that, but we need him to learn these foundation lessons to begin his career like if you think back to when you were in Boston, we kind of saw the same thing with Tyler Sagan, if you remember, you know, when fans were up in arms with the way Claude used them, but you know, I know it wasn't always the best relationship with them, but I bet if you ask Sagan now about that experience and and Claude trying to really hammer, and you were part of that too, trying to hammer home the defensive side of the game, the gritty side of the game into him, he definitely appreciates it. So just your thoughts on how to kind of, balance that with the new wave player, so to speak.
2: Yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, you know, it it is, you know, you have to explain to them and it's, it's way different than when, you know, obviously we came into the league, I came into the league. It was like your coach told you what to do and you did it, you know, you didn't, you (laughs) know, but you did it. Now they want to know why and they want to understand why, which is no problem, which is a great part about communication. I'm very fortunate. I got young kids. I got kids that are their age. And so, you know, I know, how to handle these you know, how to handle kids and the, the 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 breed of young men now and and even women. Uh but it's just there you know with Tyler, Tyler can tell you now if I you watch Tyler, he you knows he plays a two hundred foot game, he's been in the finals. you know you know he understands the game. And I think he could you know you could go back to that, you know, with Claude Julian and everybody there, I mean, he, he learned how to do it right. And, and and he's almost become a champion again because of it. And, you know, he's gotten to the promised land because of you. I mean, it's not easy to win. And when you have that foundation, it, it makes it a lot easier and it makes it, uh, you get into those situations like you have something to fall back on always. And that's what, you know, that's what, you know, there is a fight. We want, we want, we give like Adam, he's got freedom. Like if, if there's a play to be made, make the play. Make it, yeah. I'm not stumping that at all. Like that is like you can play the game. We're not going to take that out of your hands. But there's time. There's times in a game where you're going to have to be smart and understand. And then, you know, the, the the tracking back, the playing the defensive, playing on the right side of the puck. Those things we're just trying to teach. So it becomes more natural to them. And then also, I mean, you you guys know Pierre. When, once you get those foundations, the offensive side more. It
0: does. Yeah. I knew you were going to go there.
2: Yeah, more. You're sure. in. You're in great foundation. I mean, you look at the top centermen in the league, right? I mean, their foundations are incredible. You know, and that's why. I mean, you look at Berger. You know, you go from Bergeron from the Boston's, and you know, like uh, Eichel went. He built a found. He, you know, he, he went from where he was probably allowed to just get away with a lot of stuff. Went to Vegas, learned to be a 200 foot player, and he took into a heck of a one and he's tough to play he knows how to play the right way and he won a championship because of it so those you know you go Kopitar I mean you got you, got, you go down the list of of centermen that are built the right way and have done the right things from the get-go and how good they are offensively and in defensively and that's that's what we're trying to do with, with Adam I mean he's going to obviously be an elite offensive guy but he's going to have foundation hopefully I uh, was being a guy that can be counted on in a 200 foot game and a face off at the end of the game that's what we want to build them to like hey at the end of the game we want you out there yeah you know yep. out there face off being part of that that's our goal here and that's our goal with all our young guys here because we got a lot of them and well you got some good ones man you got some good ones and it's building that foundation and and making sure we're building winners not and, and champions not just just good hockey We want them to be ultimately, you know, a group of guys that, you know, you can win with. Jimmy,
1: you know what's great for those young guys in Columbus? They're learning from a guy that learned how to win in Pittsburgh starting in 1991. And he learned from different people, and he's passed it along. You know, you pay it forward. And, you know, I'm so glad Mark talked about being lockered between Brian Trotje and Joe Mullen. Think about that. Like, how many kids would take that for granted? He never did. And I think that speaks to the character that Mark has and also the winning ability that Mark has during his entire career. He's in the hockey hall of fame. One of the most underappreciated parts about our friend, 1998 Olympic team. Nobody had him on that team. Nobody did except for him. He believed in himself. Yeah. Yeah. It, it helps. And, I, you know,
0: I, I see it now. Like I, I, I love sometimes if I'm just in the locker room after a practice guys and I, I see the young kids maybe asking the veterans questions that's a good sign to me. And I'm sure the coaches are, are liking that as well. I mean, that's okay, this kid gets it and he understands that he has this wealth of knowledge there. The the resources are there to learn and learn and learn. And I mean, you experienced it, Mark, when you're here in Boston with with Berge and and Brad Marchand and those guys and even Chara. Uh so just to to have guys like you around really helps.
2: No, I think it's an important part of a dressing room. And you know, I, I that can never be undervalued. And I think some organizations unfortunately don't value it enough where they can be successful to come in and help and you know um i like what chicago did you know they they brought in some you know they brought in some guys a couple of them they're real competitive guys who have been part of good teams that helps and and um you know i think you know you need that i think those young guys you surround them with the right people and you teach them the right things it's you know it's only going to help you i mean it's just going to make your organization more successful and, and better and that's and that's ultimately what you want and you know that's you know it's it's a no-brainer in my opinion just to, to make sure you surround these young guys with uh, you know a great group of guys it you know stinks jimmy
1: mark can't come to the Mario lemieux fantasy camp this year because he's busy working yeah i know hey
2: eh? <laughs> i, I wouldn't be in pittsburgh this year that stinks but I'm gonna go- what's that it, it takes off about a uh, year of my life every time i go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> i've never been i gotta check it out
1: oh it's time to let him go break down some tape Jimmy
0: yeah definitely and mark just overall what's what's it been like uh on the coaching side for you since since you left the game as a player
2: yeah the coaching side i've been on both and uh, you know they're both great to me i mean you're part of the game and that's all you want ultimately um you know i was part of a you know obviously a team that was Supposed to contend with Pittsburgh being a coach. And then now I've been on two young teams and it's totally different, it's (laughs) patient. And you know, you know that there's a process here that we're trying to go through. So, you know, that's, you know, fortunate I am, I'm really patient and, you know, I just want to help these young guys and help the organization try and get to another here. And and that's what we're working on. But, you know, I I love both of it. I love the management side as well, the building process. I really love that as well, and then just being part of coaching is fun. We got a great coaching staff here, and I've had a blast with them. And um, you know, we're trying to keep it as positive as, as we can, and just help these young guys.
1: we awesome. are very fortunate to have you. I can say that with a clear conscience. I can tell yep. you that right now.
0: All right, Rex. I hope you've. Uh, I hope you found a place that has some good red wine there in Columbus.
2: Always, buddy. It, it travels.
1: <laughs> well, I think I may have to go there and teach him a few spots that I might know. <laughs> you know what I
0: like? Is the, is the hide still there? That steakhouse? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. I like that place. Yeah. Right. There you go. There you oh, go. All right, Rich, right. Thanks a lot, man. We really appreciate it. Thank thanks, Rick. All right. That's Mark Recchi joining us, Hall of Famer. Five times Stanley Cup. Yeah, <laughs> that he won two as a developmental uh, coach with the Penguins yep. there in 16 and 17. Join us here on the iTest on the sick podcast network. And that was fun. It was a lot, always fun to talk to Rex. And, and I see all your questions there. We really just wanted to kind of do the interview with Rex and, but now fire away with your reaction to it, go right ahead and we'll pull it up in a bit. But I mean, Pierre, I could talk hockey all day with Mark Reckie. I really could.
1: I've talked a lot in late nights with Mark about hockey in a lot of yeah. different cities and uh, at a lot of really nice dinner tables. Um, and it never gets old. He gives back to the game a ton.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, people don't realize he's an owner in the Western Hockey League with Camloops. Shane Doan's part of that. Um, Jerome McGinley's part of that group. Um, he really cares about the development and the growth of the game. But to me, the underrated part of Mark was always his passion for the sport. He watches games like a maniac every Crazy. single night. And, I mean, yeah. you know the only reason I know is because when we talk, I ask them about it and because yeah. I am watching.
0: It's just and, like us, yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, so you you got to have it. It's a burning desire to want to do it.
0: Yeah, it's great. And by the way, speaking of, I think I saw here in the comment room, speaking of the WHL, uh, somebody was saying, yeah, uh, Randy Workman saying is a huge deal. The Portland Winterhawks have struck a major deal in the closing minutes before the deadline uh, with the Wheat Kings for Nate Danielson. That's a nice pickup.
1: Play, play really for the World Junior, yep.
0: Yep. Good pickup there. All right, well, let's open up some questions here and your reaction uh, to Mark Reckie joining us here in the ITES. Uh, what do we got, guys? Why is Trevor Zegers on the market? Is there an attitude issue? Will the Bruins or Avs acquire him? Pierre, before we get in there, I do want to say that uh, Pat Verbeek uh, went out of his way yesterday to make it clear to the media he's not necessarily on the market but he did not deny that he is at least listening to what's out there in terms of authors. He's just doing his due diligence as a general manager. So just want to
1: make that distinction yeah, before we discuss him. Good job by you, Jimmy. That's responsible journalism. Uh, we've got some irresponsible reporting going on right now. And so uh, good for you and great on Pat Verbeek for being uh, very, very transparent. Um, Trevor also got hurt. People need to know that Trevor's an injured commodity right now. So um, we'll see how it all plays out. I, I know one thing, getting cut or go tape for them offensively is huge. We saw a beautiful goal from Mason McTavish last night, high short side in the Nashville game in mm-hmm. an Anaheim win. Uh, obviously with Troy Terry there, they, they've got a juggernaut of offense now going forward. And, and whether Trevor Ziegler stays or not, I don't know. But I would tell you one thing, um, Anaheim setting up, as we talked about probably near the beginning of our foray together, Anaheim setting yeah. up to be a real good team. They really, they really are. are.
0: And, I, and I would think, you know, and the only reason he might be listening or uh, exploring, so to speak, guys, it's just he, a lot of these kids are going to come up for contracts at the same time. He's not going to be able to keep them all. So it, it can't hurt to keep it in the back of your mind what's out there. So if you do reach a point where like you got to pick, which guy goes because I can't keep them all. Maybe you go back and you revisit a conversation. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's,
1: that's what good GMs do, right, Pierre? And you got to understand, too, Leo Carlson is a, a foundation player. And I'm not saying Trevor Ziegris isn't, but Leo Carlson went number two overall ahead of Adam Fantilli. We just heard what Mark Reckie thinks of Adam Fantilli. Oh. Um, and so and you heard my comparable. Like, and I'm not trying to put pressure on the kid. I see Mike Madonna. That's yeah. what I see. And that's... You know, Mike McDonald's a Hall of Famer. He's a guy that I have so much respect for. Uh, So I don't throw that out there lightly, but I would just say, you know, for Trevor Zegers, I I can't say he's Mike McDonald. I I think he's a really, really good player, but it's different. It's a different dynamic.
0: Yeah. And I'll just say, I mean, my opinion of him is I think he's a very skilled player. I do think what he does and his magician moves, I, I, I get it. And I agree. It's good for the marketing of the game, but I do think, you know, as we just discussed with Rex, you, you got to get that foundation to become the 200-foot player if you really want to win in this league. It's not just all going to be skill. And all those qualities, you know, as I'm sitting listening listen to Rex talk about the qualities he's trying to instill in Fantilli and his other younger players, Pierre, I'm saying that's that's what all the people that win the Stanley Cups have. That's what all those players have. They're not scoring Michigans. They're not, you know, dangling through the middle and and, and making a highlight real play. They're paying the price. And eventually, like he said, it leads to offense. I love that he said that. Eventually, defense leads to offense. That I'm was really cool. glad
1: that he did say that too. That's one of the standout moments from that interview to me, is what he said. But here, and this is not to be mean. Everybody wants to go to the Stanley Cup final. Everybody that's in the league wants to be part of it. And they all think they know what it's about until they get there for the first time. Mm-hmm. And you do not know what it is until you've been there the first time and it is an amazingly different experience than what you've envisioned. Yeah. And and so that's why when Mark wins in 91 and Mark wins in 06 and Mark wins in 11, there's a whole lot of room between those wins. Right. You and you find, out, you find out in these different environments, well, I know why that team didn't win and I know why that team. So you find out and that helps you for the next time you get the opportunity. Well, look at right now. I mean,
0: and I, I've had the conversation with him over the years with Sagan. He wins it in his first year. He hasn't been well, – oh, he's been to the final, but he hasn't won it since. You know, and it's – he knows. Like, I, if we had him on and we – yeah, man, it's the toughest trophy. And, you know, I'm not on the ice. I'm not playing. But I do see what goes on behind the scenes, and you do as well, Pierre. And, and I'm just left in awe every time I cover a deep playoff run. I'm always left in awe of what these guys go through – to get to the top.
1: Yarmor Yager won the cup in 91 and 92. He's still playing hockey. He never won again. Yep. That's, a, that
0: tells that's all you need to know right there. All right. What else we got guys? What is your take on why Johnny Goudreau is not taken off in Columbus? That's from Marvin Matthews.
1: Yeah. Fair question. Um, probably last year was not a very good situation obviously not a very healthy situation with the group i think they're a little bit better this year i love the coaching staff that's there i've known pascal vincent for a long time as a coach uh, and also as a person um i like what mark said too he says we got an awesome staff here and i agree with him 100 um so things are better for him but i think last year was you know you go from playing with elias Lindholm and matthew kachuk I was just going to say that. And you don't have those guys anymore. It's a lot different. And the team is, you know, obviously not very good last year. So it's a tough, it's a tough transition. And he's not a player capable of carrying a team. He's a really good support piece of offense. That's what he is.
0: Yeah. You know, I look at it here. I just don't know if the fit is there. You know what I mean? They're, they're a team that's on the rebuild. They're a team building for the future, incorporating all this youth. And I, I think he's just sort of in a different place. And, this is no knock on him. Like you just said though, he he's, he's also, he's not, you know, and to bring up Rex again, he's not per se a Rex type that he's, he's more out there. He wants to score. That's what he does. And that's what he loves to do. And he wants to go score. And you, you made a great point. I mean, he's, he's also missing those line mates he had uh, in, in Calgary. So, all right, next question. Ooh, another Calgary related
1: question. Randy yeah, worked cool. in- So, Randy, just to put a, I know all the media is doing this. Markstrom got a full no move in his contract. So he's got to yeah. work that in order to be traded. Um, if he waves it, yeah, I think he could be traded. I do. But mm-hmm. until he waves that, I mean, I, I think it's a whole lot of talk about nothing until he waves it.
0: Yep. And by the way, Randy did ask, do we think Markstrom will hit the market? Uh, so there's your answer there. All right, next question. Pierre, who was your favorite player you ever dealt with? Well, oh, I think we just had gosh. one of them.
1: There's so many, but we just had one on, obviously, Mark. Mark was tremendous. I, I'm I really grateful for the time I had around uh, Brian Trotje. Really, am really, really grateful. Um, Larry Murphy, um, mm. it's a good story for everybody. 45 minutes before most practices, Larry Murphy and Joey Mullen. And I would go on the ice together um, and just work on different skills. And I had so they were both older in their career when that happened. And I just was amazed at their desire to be so good. They both wanted to be so good. And eventually, both of them ended up in the Hall of Fame. Um, I really enjoyed working with Teddy Drury in Hartford and in Ottawa. I love both those guys. Uh, I really enjoyed my time around Chris Pronger. I uh, thought he was great to be around. Um, so I got a lot. I mean, I don't want to diss any of them because I, I always took it as an unbelievable opportunity. And maybe one of my favorite players I ever worked with was a guy that played in the NHL for a long time. I never coached him. Jamie Baker, Lawrence, uh, oh, yeah. and I. We used to train and push each other so hard in the summers up in Canton, New York. So Bakes would be right up there in terms of guys. Uh, that I had the privilege of working with. And obviously, you said it before, Rex, I can't. Recchi was awesome. I just love my time with Recky.
0: What's uh, What's Baker doing these days?
1: He's working in Ottawa on the radio. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, he, was, he had a good media career going in San Jose, where obviously – That's where mem- I remember him, yeah. One of the most memorable moments was our Game 7 overtime win over Detroit, and he scored yep. uh, a goal, the game-winning, series-winning goal, major upset in 1994. I think it was
0: Yep, 94 Scotty Bowman brought that game up on our uh, podcast.
1: So yeah, Bakes was great. I can tell you one thing. We, uh, I'm going to say it was a summer of, uh, 88. Mm -hmm. There was a whole lot of pushing and shoving going on up there in Canton, New York, in the, in the weight room. I can tell you that it was good. It was a lot of fun. It was good. That's
0: great. All right. We're going to have time for one more question here and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. But want to do remind everybody before I read you this question, uh, Tomorrow, we're going to start a new uh, a new segment on the show. Pierre and I are pretty excited about it. We're going to call it Press Box Thursday. Yep. So every Thursday now, we'll bring on a prominent member from the hockey media, whether it's a writer, broadcaster, what have you, uh, to join us. And we're going to kick things off with Hall of Fame Puck Scribe from the Boston Globe, Kevin Paul DuPont, who's covered the Bruins for years. Uh, he started with the Boston Herald, and he's been with the Globe for the majority of his career. I've been lucky enough to kind of learn under Kevin He's one of those guys that took me under his wing uh, as I was maturing into a reporter, uh, along with Russ Conway. So uh, really excited about that, Pierre. I love talking to Dupes. He's got some great stories, and uh, he's a very personal guy as well. So
1: we'll have a lot of fun. That that Sunday column in The Globe is iconic that he writes. It really is. is, It is iconic, phenomenal. It's newsworthy. Um, It's funny sometimes. It's biting other times. It's, It's really strong. So when I was coaching the Hartford Whalers, I remember he had a line, the forever 500 Whalers, and I was like, oh, I'm going to get this
2: guy, you know.
1: <laughs> um, and then you get to meet him, and you're like, Well, I don't really hate him that much. He's a yeah. good guy to you put your arm around him. But, yep. uh, no, I, I think he's tremendous. He's an amazingly gifted writer. He's very creative. He uh, loves hockey. He just loves hockey. I'm really glad we're going to have him on. And I see David Robinson's question, my thoughts yeah. on alternating Swayman and Olmark in the playoffs. Uh, I'm not a fan of alternating goalies, and I'll yeah. be honest with you. Um, sometimes you have to do it because of injury. Obviously, the Bruins have a unique situation now with Omar getting hurt uh, last night and then uh, Swainman having to come in in Arizona for the overtime, which was obviously tough, just crazy. Yeah. Um, but all that being said, I don't think that works. I'm not saying it doesn't because I'll give you an example, okay? And, I, again, I hate to go way back, but I have to in this case. When the Rangers had Mike Richter and John Van Beesbrook, they had an amazing tandem, 1A and 1B. Mm -hmm. And in 1992, they played the Pittsburgh Penguins. And the big play in that entire series was Adam Graves broke Mario Lemieux's hand in game two in New York. And so the Rangers won game two and they won game three, and they were up significantly in game four And Pittsburgh came back, and then late in the game, Ronnie Francis scored from center ice. And I'm not saying that's because they were rotating goalies or anything else, but I'm going to say it was a major impact in the series. Yeah. And eventually, Pittsburgh won that game. They never lost another game in the series, and they go on to win the cup. And they're the only team that's ever won 11 straight games to win the Stanley Cup. And And And
0: Yep.
1: Fans, four not- fans, Boston four against Chicago but I'm I'm not saying it's the only reason why but I'm just saying they never had a clearly defined number one I've always used that as a reference point yep
0: and I'll say this see I, what I'm not opposed to and what I think you know when it comes to I don't think that Jim Montgomery should have rotated last year I think he made the right move going with Almar to start the series yep. but I have no issues if a coach decides at a certain point in the series, to switch over to the other goalie and make him the starter, no that's fine. I don't go game by game. I say, okay, we've we've got a good body of work here through four or five games. He doesn't have it. And it was pretty evident in game five of that series that there was something going on with Almark, and it became painfully evident in game six. And, of course, that led to the switch for game seven. I think if he switches in game five, I'm not saying the Bruins win it. I just think they have a better chance – uh in that series. But you know, the past is a pass and we'll see what happens. But they might not have that option. I mean, there could be some very big news uh with the Boston Bruins in the next 36 hours, so to speak, uh, as <sighs> what their goaltending situation Well that's is.
1: that's the big news, right? You just don't know. Yeah. I mean you don't know. You, yeah. you just you don't
0: so know. Let's wait, let's let's revisit that in a bit once we know the health situation of Allmark. Uh but I want to thank everyone for watching and listening and uh Obviously, thank Mark Reckie for joining us. Always, oh,
1: yeah. so got, like, How about some of the stories?
0: Yeah, yeah it was great. He's
1: just great. forthright. Um, and you talk about just one more before the goalie change because you brought up, Mark. In 2006, if you remember, it was Martin Gerber that started the playoffs for the Carolina Hurricanes. I was going to
0: say it, Pierre. Yep. And, the,
1: and then the man that replaced him went on to win the Consmite Trophy. Award. Ward. Correct the window. And
0: if I'm not mistaken, he was a rookie, right?
1: He was you then? Yep. yeah yeah i remember he actually played in the american league in uh, lowell where yes the team was at the time yeah one, one of his teammates during the lockout year uh was um uh mark eric sorry eric Stahl i was gonna say mark Stahl eric Stahl. Yep, yeah i remember that it, remember it just that. shows you you know yeah. it just shows you so you got to be so careful you really do i the rotating stuff, I don't know, but the replacement, which I'm totally on board with you, Jimmy, that yeah. matters. You got to sense it though, as a coach. You really have to have the right sense.
0: Yeah, you got to f- just feel that tempo, feel the temperature there. So, all right. Well, we appreciate it. Thanks to our production crew. Looking forward tomorrow to our first Press Box Thursday with Kevin Paul DuPont at the Boston Globe. Until then, he's Pierre Maguire. I'm Jimmy Murphy. This is the eye test. We'll talk to you tomorrow.
1: And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the eye test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.